Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another fantastic show for you. I'll speak with Laura Oakman, the NFL sideline reporter for Fox Sports and Westwood One. We'll discuss her initiative to help women in sports called Galvanize. The NHL season opened Wednesday, and I'll speak with Stephen Wino, who covers the NHL for the Associated Press, about what we can look forward to in a condensed 56-game regular season. And just to note, Stephen is a fellow alum of Holy Ghost Prep in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. He's the second HGP alum to be a guest on the podcast, joining Pat Leonard of the New York Daily News. First up is Siena men's basketball. After several starts and stops, the Saints finally got its season going a couple of weeks ago. They are off to a 4-0 start and have won 14 in a row dating back to last season. On Monday, I spoke with Siena head coach Carmen Mazzarello about finally getting to play games. I also asked about Jalen Pickett's injury. Well, Carm, well, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I know we're two weeks into the new year, but happy new year, and I hope uh, everything's well uh, with you and your family. I uh, appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's a great new year. We got to play some Siena basketball to, uh, to bring it in, and uh, just excited that our guys are happy and healthy, and in our administration, and obviously our president, Dr. Gibson, have uh, done a great job getting us back to the court, and just very thankful and grateful. I know my players are... Uh, you know, extremely grateful, and as well as my staff. So just, uh, you know, enjoying the process and getting better every day. Well, before we get into that, well, I have to ask you about Jalen Pickett. He missed Sunday's game uh, because of an injury. And I know, you know by the time we post this podcast, things could change a little bit. So uh, how have you had a chance to talk to him? And what, what do you think the timetable is for uh, his return? Yeah, I just, I just, just actually saw Jalen. He just got some treatment. You know, he's getting treatment three times a day. Um, Greg Dashnar, our athletic trainer, uh, he's a legend in these in these parts. You know, take my ankles back in the day. Worked for Mike Dean, just a tremendous trainer. Um, and Jalen's in a good spot. You know, we're just going to make sure we're cautious with him, and um, well, he'll be day to day. You know, we'll see. You know, actually, I gave the guys, you know, the high minute guys, especially off today and Tuesday, just to you know get them kind of taking care of their bodies, get them in the training room, get them in the weight room for some corrective work. And then uh, some guys will be working out and shooting, but then we'll uh, do yoga on Tuesday, and then these guys are back to get ready for Ryder Wednesday, Thursday, and then we'll leave and get there for uh, you know Thursday night, play Friday, Saturday, and see what happens. Yeah, what has it been like? I mean, the stop and the start, stop and the start. I mean, you finally got to play uh, a game uh, you know, the previous weekend, uh, the first weekend of January. I mean, what has life been like there, you know, with this virus and having to pause so many times? I mean, how frustrating has it been? And were you concerned at all that you weren't going to have a season? Uh, I don't think we were ever concerned about not having a season. You know, I think these guys do a great job of keeping it in perspective. And our job is to stay the course and, and to continue to be leaders on campus and wearing our masks and doing everything we got to do. You know, if you look, there's been numerous teams around the country that have had numerous positives. And so, you know, we went into each one of them with the mindset we were going to get better regardless if we could be together, uh, you know, in person or if we had to be on Zoom calls and FaceTime calls. And, you know, we got creative with different things we did to grow our group and grow our mindset. 
I think the biggest thing is is just staying always positive, right? You know, people want to talk about a cup being half full or half half empty. We talk about our cup always overflowing. You know, we always want to make sure that, that we're just appreciative of everything we have and we're enthusiastic about it. And, uh, you know, we stay resilient and tough, you know, mentally, physically, and emotionally. But when it's all said and done, we can control our attitude and we can control what we're consuming, whether it's reading something, listening to something, and, uh, you know, what, what our thoughts are. So we want to make sure our communication is, is up to par. We're talking about the right things to lift each other up, and I, I think the guys have done a great job of it. And I said, you know, how we respond to each of these pauses is going to determine our season. And so far, so good. These guys have done a great job and, and just really proud of how they've responded. I mean, how concerned were you? Obviously, other, the other teams in the MAC have played. You were you were the last uh, MAC team to get on the court and play. I mean, were you concerned at all that you were uh, behind things because other teams have played? Uh, the way we built the schedule, you know, I actually waited a week to practice and kept our guys in group workouts until we did kind of our Marine Corps training with the program, which is, uh, you know, a program we we use every year, which is awesome. It just kind of, you know, shows us about shared adversity and, and who our leaders are. But, um, you know, I wasn't too concerned. We looked at it as a way to kind of have our guys scout. So I gave each of our guys um, a team to watch with a teammate, and they had to kind of compare notes and come up with a scouting report um, of who those teams were. And so, you know, you had um, – you know, Jordan King and I think Jackson Stormo had Fairfield and Manny Camper and somebody else, Nick Hopkins, had Monmouth. So now these guys have input into our scouting reports and they're already kind of saying, oh, coach, I remember watching, you know, Deion Hammond or I remember watching Taj Benning from Fairfield. And so, you know, that way you know we're getting something out of it. These guys are being productive. It's great that the Max on ESPN3 and ESPN Plus and, um, you know, just really making sure we're making the most of our time and, and using our time wisely where we're always getting better, right? Regardless if it's a half a percentage point getting better or, you know, we're having a great day and we're, we're able to kind of, you know, revamp some things and have everybody just kind of, you know, firing on all cylinders. So we just look at that and kind of our approach to everything. You know, we want to just make sure we can control what we can control and that our attitude and our perspective is focused on the present and the here and now. The offense so far, I mean, hasn't lost a beat. You know, 78 points in the opener, 76 uh, both against Monmouth. You know, this past weekend, 74 against Fairfield and 75. I mean, are you pleasantly surprised or did you expect this, especially with uh, not having much practice time, that, that the offense is clicking the way it is? You know, we return a lot. Um, we return a lot of guys that know how we want to play. You know, even though Kyle Young and Jordan King are sophomores, you know, Manny and Jalen are really key with how we run offense and how we play. I think bringing in a guy like Nick Hopkins, who came from a winning program in Belmont, has been just uh, an awesome addition, as well as Jackson Stormo. And so I think those two guys, Jackson and Nick, who are obviously the newer ones, um, I think they were able to really get acclimated because they're such students of the game. And I think that's really helped, you know, their IQ, their work ethic, and the type of people they are. You know, they're both high-character young men, um, you know, who were growing into leaders of this program as well. So just really excited about where we're going. I think, you know, just to take it day by day to realize, hey, we can even do more. We can even execute better. You know, we've been playing with short benches for all those games, right? We didn't have Aiden Carpenter um, in, in the Monmouth series, and then we didn't have Jalen in the Fairfield series, and we still haven't had Colin Colson yet. Um, so we're able to get minutes for Harrison Curry and Bennett Krasinski to maybe grow them some too. Rob Mahala, who's one of our captains, you know, he was able to get in a, a few minutes in, in a couple of the games. 
games as well. So, you know, we're doing everything that we can. And then we haven't even talked about Denzel Chugang, who uh, should be back this week too. You know, and so now we have another guy up front that can, you know, be a great ball screen defender and be a physical presence in the post and get us some, you know, some more defensive rebounds. So uh, I'm just excited. You know, I think we have some depth. I think we're growing our guys. And I think you always get what you need, right? We're never going to worry about what we don't have. We just think we always get what we need and we make the most of it. And then uh, yeah, Sunday's game, with no, no Jalen Pickett, but the freshman guard, Aiden Car- Carpenter comes in, scores 15 of his 19 points in the second half. Uh, yeah, talk about his effort yesterday, and uh, and just the depth that you, you were just talking, basically talking about. How important it is to have that kind of depth in this kind of a crazy season? Oh, I think being able to have depth is is tremendous, you know, and, and kind of just guys understanding their roles. I think that kind of being a star in your role and that buy-in is what's going to make this team special. Um, you know, everyone wants to play thirty plus minutes a game. Not everybody can do it, especially when we get you know, our full roster back, you know, our guys have to do a great job of that. And I think they're doing it so far. Um, and then, you know, obviously Aiden, Aiden, we recruited because he's different than what we have, right? You know, Jordan and Nick are kind of in that same mold, you know, cerebral outside shot makers can handle, can make free throws late. Aiden's more of a, a North South guy. I've always kind of talked about him being a guy that reminded me of a former Schenectady um, star, Mark Lyons, um, you know, who, Played at South Kent and then Brewster and then at Xavier in Arizona and and, and Mark, um, you know, had some of those same characteristics. As did, as did Chris Dunn, who I recruited back in the day when he was a young man, you know, in New London, Connecticut. Um, and so Aiden has a great first step. He's really good off the high ball screen, and he's a guy that can get downhill. Um, and so he gives us a change of pace guard, and, and I love his length and athleticism to be able to pressure the ball 94 feet too. So you know. We're trying to build this thing the right way, and I think we have all, all the right pieces. Now it's just a matter of uh, continuing to grow and making sure we get better every day, whether it's in a film session, a day off, you know, how we're treating our bodies, how we're sleeping. Um, for me, all those are magnified when you have back-to-backs. You know, all those little things that you can control are magnified. And so if we do a great job with that stuff and everybody stays the course, you know, knock on wood, we stay healthy, you know, we'll be in great shape. Yeah, you mentioned the back-to-backs, Carm. Uh you know, the only time you ever play back-to-backs is in the MAC tournament. But here, you're doing it every weekend. It's a different kind of, uh, you know, mindset. How important is it to get that rest and how, you know, and playing these games? It's, it's got exact a, a physical toll on these guys, and maybe for you because you're not used to coaching on back-to-back games. Yeah, it's uh, it's different. You know, everyone talks about you know making sure the players rest, and we always try to you know always be really meticulous with how we schedule, how we schedule their time off, how we schedule their meals, how we schedule stretching and lifting and recovery, um, and even walkthroughs and practice. And, you know, we've only been practicing 60 to 75 minutes, maybe 90 minutes at most on certain days. Um, so we're trying to be really mindful there. But, you know, just a credit to all of our administrators and, and our staff, our training staff, our weight staff, because, you know, it's double duty for all of them, especially back-to-back. You know, a great passion, our athletic trainer, is just, you know, he's got to make sure he's taking care of these guys and he's doing a great job. You know, you get some guys that come in for, you know, two or three treatment sessions um, just to make sure they're, they're doing everything to, to give them that advantage by taking care of their body. So, you know, a credit to our staff here. But no one talks about all the time and effort to go in, even with the, you know, sports information office and Mike Demo. So all these people are just kind of, 
know, all hands on deck and making sure we're doing everything we can. And uh, a lot of people don't see it, but we definitely are greatly appreciative. And, and you know, the general public only see, you know, these guys out on the court and playing back-to-back games. But there's so much stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And then my staff, obviously, I think my staff is doing a great job. Um, you know, we got guys in that are, you know, not playing as many minutes, getting them reps to learn the offense and learn different concepts and keeping them sharp and fresh, too, because you never know when your number's called. And, and so there's always something to be done to get better. But I think it's just a credit to everybody here at Siena College, and we're thankful. What has it been like playing, and it's only four games, but playing in an empty gymnasium? And what has it been like playing at the Arc? Because that's obviously not your home uh, during the regular season. It's the Times Union Center's uh, been your home in the last, uh, well, I guess, 20 some odd years. And it's kind of, I mean, kind of strange to be playing games at the Arc. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of surreal. You know, the first time I saw Siena basketball play was a game against Fairleigh Dickinson when Mike Dean was the coach and the arc had a rubber floor and it was packed and sold out. And, you know, then I went to camp as a kid and it was, it was you know, Coach Dean running Siena basketball camp. So I'm familiar with it. Obviously, that you know, we have the practice facility now that we built that's back there. That's awesome. Um, you know, our guys are just thankful to be on the court. Uh, it, you know, the shooting surrounds are a little different, but no fans. Our guys don't really care. We got some great cutouts, so I get to see my mom and dad. They're behind the bench. Uh, I got to, you know, it's funny. They were breaking my chops because uh, one of our guys had a seat back there because we all have socially distant seats. And, uh, you know, I got to make sure he doesn't stand up too much because he's blocking my parents' view. So <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll keep that going. But, no, I, I just think, you know, you make the most out of every situation. The good thing is, you know, practicing and playing in the arc, you know, myself and Coach Jackson, you know, we do a great job communicating. So when we're home, you know, she has a practice facility and we practice in the arc and vice versa. You know, but it, at, at the end of the day, it saves us time, right? We don't have to worry about going down to the arena. So now, you know, thinking about these back-to-backs, our guys are able to give a little more rest. All they have to do is take a couple steps to get to the gym. They're in the locker room. They're get the treatment center right there. The weight room's right there. Obviously, you know, the arc's right there. So we save time that way. It gives them another, you know, 45 minutes of rest on game days after shooting around before pregame meal. So we always just look at the positives. And I think, you know, hopefully we can have some, some of our great Santa fans back in the TU center, you know, but I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not sure, you know, where this pandemic's going. And now you get the, you know, the virus mutating a little bit and, and what's going to happen with that. So we're just doing everything we can. And like I said, just controlling what we can. I mean, I, I've asked this question of other coaches uh, here in the area. I know Rick Pitino a couple months ago said he thought about maybe the NCAA should push the basketball back, have made madness, and once you know, try to get everybody healthy at this point. Do you think a May, a May madness would work this year? Maybe if we, you know, we're still seeing teams pausing for uh, with with this virus. Do you think maybe it's better if everybody just take a pause and you know try to get things straightened out? And maybe you know, play the tournament in May. No, I think you got to keep going. We, you know, we started this thing. Um, you know, a lot of the teams that have probably paused a few times, if, if some of their players, God forbid, are healthy and have had had the virus, you know, they don't need to test again for 90 days. So now you have uh, at least a group of, of, of players that can play. Now, is that going to give you the outcome you want? Who knows? But you're playing for the, for the good of the NCAA tournament. You're playing for the good of every conference. You're playing for the good of the school because there's that financial obligation, too, that comes into play where you have to have the NCAA tournament. There's so much that goes into it, the TV money, the advertising money. Um, and then, you know, obviously a lot of it, goes and trickles down to those conference members of the team that, 
you know, from the team that made it. So I, I think it has to be done. I think we got to continue to play and stay the course and be as safe as we can, take as, you know, as many precautions as we can. You know, obviously this was our first road trip to Fairfield. You know, we made sure our guys, you know, everything's safe in the hotel. You know, there's no, there's no restaurants, there's no food open, so the kitchen makes your food and they're on to go back. Our guys eat in their rooms. Um, you know, we've made sure we've roomed guys, a former positive with a negative, um, just so, you know, in case, God forbid, something happened and we test on game day and someone pops, now we're only have to shut down that one person. Um, you know, we stay socially distanced. And so we, we try to limit our risk any way we can. Um, and then with still that being said, you don't know, you don't know, you know, what else, what else could happen, right? So yeah. I just think, you know, moving forward, I think we're, we're in a good spot. You know, I think the country, though, you know, have we seen the total effects yet of people going home for Christmas or doing things on New Year's Eve? I don't know. I just think we got to make sure we're controlling what we can and we can socially distance. We can wear masks and we can, you know, wash our hands a good amount and just be safe. You know, we, we try to get our guys not to even leave campus. Well, Carr, I appreciate a few minutes. Uh, good luck for the rest of the season. Let's hope uh, we don't have any more pauses and uh, we get through it and you get to the MAC tournament. And uh, one other question I wanted to ask you about concerning NCAA tournament, I just thought of it now. Uh, the fact that tournament is going to be in, 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 in uh, Indianapolis, uh, obviously the mecca of basketball in Indiana. I mean, how much fun would it be to play in Indianapolis? Oh, I mean, if we're playing in March, it's going to be great to play anywhere. So, uh, you know, I like Indianapolis. I think it's a great city. Obviously, you know, like you said, so much tradition in that state. Um, and I think it gives us the best chance everyone will be safe in one location. And, and I know the NCAA is working hard on that. But, uh, you know, Indianapolis is a great city. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll make sure if, uh, you know, we're able to get there that, that we make the most of it. I well, appreciate it, Carmen. Let's uh, you know, keep up the good work. And uh, you got Ryder Friday and Saturday down there in Lawrenceville, New Jersey. Uh, good luck down there, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks so much. Have a great day. You too, Carm. Thanks. Up next, we'll talk with Laura Oakman of Fox Sports and Western One about her initiative to help women in sports called Galvanize. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Hi, this is Miles Reed, editor of the Daily Gazette. These are difficult times. For most of us, the coronavirus crisis has been a time of unprecedented upheaval, uncertainty, and fear. What does it all mean for our health, our families, our jobs, and our futures? At the Daily Gazette, our journalists have been working tirelessly to answer these questions and many more that have come up during this whole pandemic. How many people have tested positive locally? How many have died? Has anyone died in the local nursing homes? Now, in these difficult times, we're turning to you to support our work by purchasing a subscription or making a donation to help fund our daily efforts. With your support, these are the questions we're continuing to report on. Every day, our reporters and photographers have been working the streets and the phones to answer these critical questions. And every day, they answer the bell with their timely and well-documented reports from the front lines in the region. Behind the scenes, the rest of our editorial team, including our sports writers, copy editors, and digital producers, have been wholly focused on covering the COVID-19 story. During this critical time, everyone here at the paper is working to provide important news and information to keep the community safe and connected. 
But our ability to serve our community is being threatened by some economic challenges posed by the pandemic. We have stay-at-home orders, business closures, and school shutdowns, and they're contributing to the massive instability in the local business landscape. Despite all of these changes, the Gazette will remain committed to serving the community for many years to come, just as we've been doing unfailingly for the past 125 years. So please go to thedailygazette.com and donate or purchase a subscription to the Daily Gazette. Thank you. Be well, and please keep reading. Hi, this is Union College football coach Jeff Behrman. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Schott. Welcome back. My next guest is an NFL sideline reporter for Fox Sports and Westwood One. She has an initiative to help women find work in the sports world called Galvanize. Please welcome Laura Oakman to the podcast. Laura, thank you for coming on the podcast. Much appreciated. I know you're busy getting ready for uh, the weekend with uh, the NFL. I appreciate you giving me a few minutes to talk about uh, Galvanize. Uh, I so appreciate you having me. I love talking about Galvanize uh, anytime, but especially when it's with men. I'm always so thrilled when it's actually men reporters asking me about this. So I I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it. I I was talking to my managing editor uh, last week, and I told her I was going to have have you on about that. And she said that's perfect. She loves having uh, me uh, having women on. I mean, I have I have regular guests. Uh, I mean, Chris, Chrissy Ack, uh, Acker, who covers the uh, Yankees for the New York Daily News. I have her on, uh, you know, talking baseball. I, I, it's 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 great. I, I mean, I I think it's I I, you know, I, I happen to you know look at it the uh, recently. And you know, what inspired you to start this? You know, I, I've been doing this almost thirty years now, and when I started there just weren't many of us and I I never thought about it back then I, I was so focused my head was so down you know just looking at where my feet were going and looking at my path and so I never had any women friends who were doing this and and there were a few women out there but I was so focused on my journey I never thought to look beside me and go hey who else is doing this or I never looked behind me to go who can I help or ahead of me to go who can help me and it was very lonely, and it was really difficult. There's it, This business is very much not at all black and white. It's very much gray, and it's, it's difficult as a young woman, at least it was for me, to navigate all that gray. And my girlfriends didn't understand because they weren't in the business, and my best friends who were men in the business didn't really understand um, the business from my perspective, from a woman's perspective. And so I just, I, I did, you know, about 20 years in this business without having any women friends and then it got to a point where I started seeing all these young women get thrown in and in my opinion it was thrown in too fast and it was too high and I was watching them burn out I was watching them get thrown in and thrown out really quickly and and not getting another shot and you know you're they're 23 years old but they were thrown in so fast and if that would have happened when I was younger, I would have been very judgmental of the women. I would have been like, well, yeah, they weren't ready and they shouldn't have, they shouldn't be here. And thankfully, I started seeing it when I was older. And instead of getting judgmental, I got really protective and went, wow, I would have been one of those women who, if I, if I would have been thrown in too fast, too high up, I, I would have made a lot of mistakes and wouldn't have lasted as long as I have. So it, the initiative really started with, you know, I never thought, should I start a company? I never thought, what's the name? You know, what's, what is it about? I just really went, what can I do to help? And it started with getting 20 women in a room and, um, and trying to help them and figure out what they could do to be ready. 
and to give advice and to make sure that when they got the opportunities, they were a bit more prepared. And, you know, it was 20 women, women in a room. It took me about four months to find 20 women. And it's about 12 years later, we've had over 2,000 women. We're from 18 years old to our 40s, and it's women on camera, behind camera, in marketing, PR, agents, everything. And it's just this incredible group of women in sports uh, who really are there giving each other something I didn't have, which was a, which is a great network of women to support and to be supported by. So it's pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, you, you see it now. I think it, it's. We, I think I. I know. I take it for granted that you, you see you know, women on the sideline. You see uh, like a Doris Burke uh, you know, analyzing NBA games. Uh, Beth Moen's calling both college football and the NFL. It's sort of uh, you know maybe maybe uh, you know I've been in this uh, sports business since uh, my junior year of college, and it's just like I to me it's. I think it's great. We see the growth, but. Now, how important is it? How important do you think your initiative has helped in the growth of uh, women in sports? I think where it's really helped is I don't know about the growth of it, but what I do know is it's helped the women in it, and it's given them something that, again, that so many of us didn't have, which is somewhere to go to and a group of women to go. Have you gone through this? Are you going through this? Can you help me through this? I, I know that I'm very thankful that I came up in this time, in this business, in a time where there was no social media, because I don't know if my skin would have been thick enough as a young woman, because all I was told was, you can't do this. All I was told was, nobody cares what you say. Nobody cares what you think. You should do something else. You know, you if you do this, then you can't do it past 30, because nobody wants to see an aging woman on camera. So... All of those voices were so prevalent in my head, and eventually those voices become your voice. And so I started thinking, you know, no one does want to hear you. Why does anyone want to listen to you? And it took me a long time to find my confidence. I didn't get it till I was 40. And so I think what hopefully Galvanize does is, is you know, I, I didn't get the confidence until I was supposed to. You know, I wasn't supposed to get it a minute earlier. But I hope for these women that it helps them find it at 23 years old, at 33 years old. I, I hope it, it drowns out all the noise around them, all the noise from Twitter and from Instagram and just social media and just from, you know, from ignorant men, period, saying nobody cares what you say. I hope it drowns that voice out and they realize they have this great, incredible group of women saying, I care what you say. What you say is fantastic. You know, you are so smart. You know what you're doing, you know, and, and supporting each other. And so I don't know about growing. Like, I love that. You know, I, I don't know if it's helped us grow a number of women in the business, but I certainly know it's helped grow the confidence of the women in the business. Yeah, you mentioned the social media aspect, and I, I see it, you know, all the time. You know, some, some of these, I'm going to say idiots, uh, disparaging yeah. women. I think uh, yeah, I think it was Molly McGrath who was expecting a child. She was, uh, you know, some people thought she shouldn't be on the air. Uh, Jamie Earle at the, uh, CBS was wearing a mask, a face mask, and people were getting on her case. Before. I was like, if, if, if a man was wearing a face mask on the sideline, would they say anything? I don't think so. What, what's, why, why you have to pick on the women? Yeah, it's really true. It's, it's funny because, again, it's, People always say, oh, it's so much easier now. It's so much better now. There's so many more of you. And, and I always just kind of sigh because what I say is if it's gotten so much better, why is it that all these women that I talk with are dealing with the same stuff that I did, you know, almost 30 years ago? So there's more of us, but 
you know, misogynistic behavior, you know, is, is, is alive and well. And misogyny is and sexism is. And, and so I don't know. You know, it's, I, I talk to my friends about this all the time, my male friends who are in the business, and we compare social media. And the difference maybe sometimes I see is telling a man, uh, you know, like you said something so stupid. That was so stupid what you said. And yet women are just stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, that nobody, you know, again, goes back to you don't know what you're talking about. Nobody wants you here. You don't belong. Versus a man just being told what a stupid thing, it, what a stupid thing he said was. And it gets more personal. You know, I, I know that I made a rule a long time ago not to get on Twitter on Sundays after a game. It's just, it can be really, really brutal. I find Monday through Saturday people are relatively kind and very kind, and Sundays are mean. And, and that's not just for women, but it's a different level of attack with women is what I have found. You know, so when, when a, a colleague of mine starts showing me what he's reading after a Sunday, and then I go, look at mine. He's always, you know, the, what they will say is, oof, like, man, you're just so much more personal. It's so much uglier. And, and that's, you know, that's certainly not women in sports. That's just women, period. And um, I think, again, it's why it's so important to have not just women supporting each other, but I know my my guy friends have helped me get through this. I, my best friend for over 20 years was Stuart Scott. And Stuart and I came up together. You know, when I first met Stuart, he was at ESPN2, so his star wasn't as bright. And Stuart was the first one to say to me, hey, you've got to stop looking at yourself as um, as a woman. You've got to stop comparing yourself to other women. You're not a great women, woman sports broadcaster. You're a great sports broadcaster. You're not a woman journalist. You're a journalist. And that was huge for me to hear as a young woman as I was finding my way, which was, why am I continuing to put woman in front of everything? I'm, I'm just a good storyteller. I'm just a good journalist. I'm good at my relationship. You know, all those things I'm good at might help because I'm a woman, but it's certainly not because I'm a woman. And thankfully, I had a wonderful man who led me to that conclusion. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in the 70s, so I mean, my, the only first female reporter I ever saw was Phyllis George, and I think she was perfect for that uh, you know, with Brent Musburger. That was a, really a, a great uh, team there with her and Irv Cross. Uh, who did you have any role models? Because and now to the you know today's women who get into the broadcast, do they have role models like you, like Linda Cohn? And I think you know, people. Um, was there anybody that you could look up to when you were wanted to get in this business? And this is, is this, and you wanted to say, I want to be a broadcaster. Uh, you know, I, I, it, there weren't many, but there were a few. You know, and I would say, you know, in Chicago. Jeannie Morris, who just passed away, was absolutely huge for Chicago. That was a woman who was continuously, um, continuously writing about sports. And she also was known very much, her byline was Miss, Mrs. Johnny Morris, because Jeannie Morris's husband was Johnny Morris, who was a legendary sports broadcaster in Chicago. And so I remember that, and I remember having those conversations with my mom about, I don't understand why she misses Johnny Morris, it's Jeannie Morris. But that was long before I wanted to be a journalist and be a, um, a sports journalist. So, I, you know, so I saw the same women you did growing up, but I think by the time I went in college, when I went, okay, I want to I tackle this, I want to be a sports journalist, I was looking at... I was looking at Robin Roberts, mm -hmm. yep. you know, where I, Robin amazed me at ESPN because it was the first woman that I remember 
kind of thing what Stork did. I, I, she wasn't good for a woman. It wasn't that she was being put in, put in a glamour role. She was one of the anchors, and she was as she was uh, an outstanding host, an outstanding anchor, an outstanding reporter. Not good for a woman, just good. And I remember seeing Robin and going, "I want that. You know, I want to be really good, and I want to be myself." And Robin was really herself. A lot of times. With women, and this is young men too, when they go into this business, everybody tries to be a sports reporter. And so everybody kind of blurs together until you find your voice and you find what makes you special. And Robin was really the first woman that I saw that I went, oh, she's doing it her way. You know, that I see her personality. I see who she is, and she's terrific. So so definitely Robin and Leslie Visser. You know, Leslie was one of the ones that I studied, and I loved how she um, how she built relationships. I loved how people talked about her, and I became friends with her eventually. And I still get nervous when I'm with her, and I still want to cry and hug her every time I see her to thank her. And, and so I would say Leslie and Robin were very big um, because right when I when I went, okay, this is what I want to do. They were two that I could look at and go, I love how they're doing this. Yeah, and Fox. Me, you know, I look at Pam Oliver too. Another one who's you know, been there. Uh, a long time with Fox Sports, and she does a great job as well. And uh, just the way she interacts with athletes, I mean, that, and I, I think people also forget that you mentioned ESPN. I think people forget Gail Gardner, one of the first women sports anchors there at Sports Center. I mean, I think people forget what the job she had done uh, when she was there. Yeah, hundred percent. And and you're right. And we could sit here and we could name. Here's here's what's great. We could sit here and and name like all the great women that you and I have seen to this point, but here's where it's horrible. You and I can name all the women (laughs) we've seen to this point. You know, so there's some tremendous ones who've done so much heavy lifting, and and I am always, always, always so thankful for those women because I think I had it tough, but I didn't have it nearly as tough as they did, you know, in that first wave. They opened the door, and then Pam, you know, like Pam is a friend, and, and I respect her so much, and I love her so much, and um, I, I just, I, I love her in every way, what she does and who she is, but it's also, um, you know, I think how we look at it is our responsibility is that first wave opened the door and now we're continuing to keep it open. And Pam was huge for women of color and for black women to be able to look at Pam and watch how she, you know, it's, it's not just women. Now it's what kind of women are we saying, you know, so what, what color are they? And also how old are they? And I feel like that's where my wave is right now. We're, I'm trying really hard to make sure that when these young women come in, they don't just look at other women in their 20s. I want them to see something I didn't, which was women in their 40s and women in their 50s and women in their 60s. Like, we watch men age on camera, but we we don't watch women do that in sports. And my hope is we're starting to right now, and there's, you know, a nice chunk of us. But I think that's really important to make sure that it's not just, you know, hey, yay, women, but... We need more of us. We need more who don't look like each other, and we especially need more women who are running, you know, running the rooms and running the tables and making sure that there's more women executives, more women who are hiring, more women who are content creators. We we still are lagging desperately behind that way. We have presence, but we don't have power. And for us to really truly make an impact, a lasting impact in the sports world, we need more women who, um, who again, who are running the rooms. And there was a big moment uh, with NBC and the NHL coverage where they had an all-woman uh, broadcast team, all-woman production crew. Uh, what did you think of that? I mean, how proud are you were, were of that? Uh, I, um, I, 
I am so proud to say that I knew a, a big handful of those women who were um, who were a part of that, and I cried. You know, I, I just it, it just for people to understand. You know, I still to this day haven't walked into a truck and and had a woman producer or had a woman director. Mm-hmm. Trucks have, if you're lucky, you know, I've seen one woman, and and you know, in my you know my long time you know doing this, I've been in a truck with one woman. And so the idea of being able to walk, not just turn on your TV and see women on camera in every, you know, in every part, calling the game, um, um, you know, analyzing the game, the, the side, uh, the report, reporting in the game, all that's huge. But for me, knowing that they walked into a room and it was all women, I, I, I've never seen anything like that. And that that amazed me, and that that's something I would have told you years ago I'll never see in my lifetime. So I'm so proud of the woman who, who created that, which was uh, which is the wonderful Caitlin Yurka, and she's a rock star and magnificent. It was all her idea, and so I couldn't text her quick enough just to, <laughs> you know, just to say, like, oh, sister, like, I'm just so proud to know you. I'm so proud to be watching this, and I'm so excited. So... That was that was a big deal. I hope I hope it's not such a big deal years from now. But I also want to make sure that I take that moment and go uh, and honor it and recognize it, and celebrate it because that was a huge deal. Yeah. Let me ask you uh, about this season. Uh, what was it like being a sideline reporter in a pandemic? Uh, it looked like mostly you guys were sitting or standing in, in the uh, stands. And then, you know, this past weekend, of course, then again this weekend, you're going to be doing what's with one uh, quote-unquote silo reporting from home. Yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been really weird, Ken. It's, you know, it's been everything 2020, you know. So it's been challenging. It, it, we're the one position, you know, just talking about um, NFL broadcasts and talking about, you know, not just Fox Sports, but all of us as reporters. It, it's been the one position that really is different because, Everybody in the booth stayed in the booth. There's now there's plastic between them, you know, so that's different. But they're still in the same seat doing the same thing. And same with everybody in the truck. There's safety measures, but they're still in the same seat doing the same job. Now for the reporters, everything was different. We can't get on the field, so we have an area that we can be in. So now you're navigating stadiums, and you know, instead of the field, and now trying to get across bench to bench can take 10 minutes and if there's fans there and, and, you know, navigating all of that, it, it was a lot. It was, a, it was a lot to navigate. Um, every stadium was different in terms of security, in terms of fans, in terms of where you meet the coaches at halftime. So, uh, so just the logistics, the logistics was interesting and, and something you had to navigate every week. It was different where, well, depending on the stadium you were at and the coaches you were with, but also just from, how our job changed, I would say, you know, the biggest part of our job is when we go to the facilities on Friday and we get to talk to players one-on-one. And that's where we build our relationships. That's where we continue our relationships. And, uh, and people would be stunned to know the conversations we have three hours before kick, you know, the things we're talking about. And that's the best time to get to know players and coaches. And we missed out on all of that. And that was really hard. It was really challenging, and it was also very depressing. It's all the things, you know, covering a football game is amazing, and, I, you know, I still love it after all these years. Uh, I love it, but the part that really, really means something to me is the relationship building, and that was that was a challenge this year. Like, we all know, you know, that if suddenly you're not talking to people, you're not seeing people, so how do you create that intimacy on Zoom? How do you 
make sure that even if you're standing, you know, 15 feet, feet apart and I'm standing up, you know, in the stands and you're, you know, I'm looking down, to, you know, six feet below me to somebody and we're both yelling at each other in masks. How do you still make sure that you're creating that relationship? So there were ways like everybody we were tested to do our job really differently. Final question for you. Um, you were a reporter for Sports Channel Chicago uh, during the uh, Bulls championship run. And, of course, they had the Last Dance uh, documentary last year. Did they get it right? Yeah, it's, it's funny. You should ask. I always say when someone says to me, what do you think of it? I'm like, ask my husband how annoyed he was because I made him press pause. I mean, every two minutes, they'd be like, let me tell you a story about that. Let me tell you what they didn't say about that. It was, it was, you know, it was like watching a whole movie of one of the most incredible times of, you know, of my life. And, and I'm a Chicago girl, so for me to have that honor to be able to be along that time was, was life-changing. But we didn't have phones back then, so I don't have a single picture. I don't have any video of that time. And so to sit there and watch that and be reminded of those moments and, and of stories that you never wanted to tell anybody, and then suddenly everybody's seeing them, it was it was absolutely amazing. So I don't, you know, it's funny, when I think back at that time, I don't remember, I don't remember every score, and I don't remember, you know, with the exception of, like, the flu game or, you know, like, there's certain things, of course, you remember, but... I'm not great with that. That's not how my memory works. But I can tell you every conversation I've had with Jordan or with Scotty Pippen or B.J. Armstrong. You know, I remember those times of just these great moments. And I can also say during that time, that's when I met Stuart Scott. So Stuart and I would watch these games, you know, on the court together. And we would be having these moments as we were watching everybody else's moments. And Stuart and I would always say, Let's make sure we remember this, like that we're in the middle of seeing a moment that's going to be going to live forever with watching Michael and watching this run, but let's make sure we're cognizant of our moments while we're doing this. So I think that's what was really neat about watching it was the memories of what they did, which were, you know, which were awesome, but the memories of who I was with and the memories of who I got to watch that with and experience that with, it was that, you know, that's the stuff that I really remember. Yeah. Well, Laura, I'll give you a chance to promote uh, your social media platforms, uh, your Twitter account. Uh, where can people find uh, Galvanize on the web? They can find us. Uh, they can find me at, at Laura Oakman, and then they can find Galvanize at Galvanize Life. And the website is lauraoakman.com, and they can just look up Galvanize on there, and there's everything they need to know. Well, Laura, I appreciate a few minutes talking about that. Uh, and. Uh, I uh, have fun this weekend with the games that you're going to be uh, doing from home. Uh, it's, that, and uh, we'll, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get to chat uh, somewhere down the road. I hope so, Ken. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you. All right. Thank you, Laura. That's Laura Oakman. Up next, Stephen Wino of the Associated Press joins me to preview the new NHL season here on the Parting Shots podcast. Hey football fans, the Daily Gazette You Pick'em Football Contest is back. Predict the winners of the weekly games via your You Pick'em online account. The fan with the most correct points each week gets their name in Thursday's Daily Gazette 
and wins a $100 ShopRite grocery gift card. The fan with the most overall points after 23 weeks wins a $1,000 travel voucher and could win a trip to Hawaii. To play, go to dailygazette.com football and create your account or use your past account. Select the teams you think will win. You may enter your picks and score predictions five minutes before the start of each game. For official rules, go to dailygazette.com football. For questions concerning the local contest, contact Randy Lewis at rlewis at dailygazette.net. The trip to Hawaii is part of a national contest. The You Pick'em Football Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Byron Hunter, the world champion New York Giants. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. The puck dropped on the NHL regular season Wednesday and it will be a season like no other. To help us preview it is the NHL writer for the Associated Press, Stephen Wino. Stephen, uh, welcome to the podcast, and uh, congratulations on being the uh, second Holy Ghost Prep alum to be on the podcast. Joining Pat Leonard. Uh, thanks, Ken. <laughs> thanks, Ken. I'm very happy to follow Pat Leonard in that. <laughs> what year did you graduate from Ghost? I graduated in 2004. Okay, so you were, I was 23 years ahead of you in 1981. <laughs> <laughs> and Pat, Pat's, a little, Pat's a little bit older, and, and Frank Saravalli's a little bit younger than me. Yeah, we got now Saravalli's on the clock, I believe. I did meet Frank um, a, f- a few years ago when he came up to Union. When I covered Union hockey, he did an article on Shane Goss's bear with uh, the Flyers defenseman. It's, it's just wild that at one point, three Holy Ghost prep alums were all covering the NHL. I know. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff, though. Well, let's talk about the uh, season. Uh, you know, Commissioner Gary Bettman won it. He was always talking about having an 82-game season this year. Even, you know, we talked about that during the playoffs last year. I think realistically that was not going to happen at all given when they were going to start the season. So having a 56-game season, we're going to see divisional games. I mean, it seems like it's going to be an exciting sprint to the, the postseason. Did the uh, NHL get this right? Yeah, you know what? I think it did. And, and, and what the NHL did that the NBA didn't was keeping divisional games, a divisional schedule, rather than making teams have to fly coast to coast just to kind of keep some some sort of league-wide play. Gary Bettman said, look, we, we, we're one league, we want that eventually, but for, for the sake of, of travel, for the sake of, of even having to make up games, I mean, you, you look at the Dallas Stars already having to, to, to make up three games at the start of the season, they're not going to have to travel further than Florida to do that. Uh, it's not going to have to, to worry about, okay, there's a Vancouver game on there and there's a Boston game on there and how you're going to do it. 56 games is about right. And, and, and I think we all knew, even while Bettman and Daly and those folks were saying it's going to be 82, they had to. They had to at the time because in, in terms of everything that's been dealt with and, and the players and all that, everything was negotiated based on 82 games. Now it's going to be 56 and starting at a time that is, I mean, terrifying given the number of cases around the United States right now, but at a time where they couldn't wait any longer to get any kind of real substantive season in and the playoffs before the Olympics start, if the Olympics happen at all. Yeah, uh, Batman was on a uh, call with the reporters on Monday. You were on that call, and he said that it would be cheaper for us to shut the doors and not play. We're coming back to play this season because we think it's important for the game, because our fans and our players want us to, and it may give people, particularly those who are back in isolation or where there are curfews, a sense of normalcy and something to do. You know, I, I think you and I recall 
uh, the, the NHL season that wasn't in the 2004-2005 when it was locked out, uh, or I say 05-06, I, I think it was 04-05, and yeah. I mean, that killed the sport. If the, if the NHL decided not to play this year, how devastating would that have been for the league? And I think it would have been devastating given that the other three major North American men's professional sports leagues decided to play. And that's what I think Gary Bettman finally said to owners, who there were many of them, and I heard this as far back as September, that there were plenty of owners who just didn't want to play. They, they, they said, look, why are we doing this? We're going to lose. And I think Frank Saravalli uh, reported that each team would lose roughly $30 million just by playing the season without fans. And I, and I think Gary Bettman, who, for, for all the, the faults of, of canceling that season and all that, I think he had a good grip on, on kind of what this would have meant for hockey not to play. If the NBA is trying, if the NFL got through it, baseball got through it, it, it would be such a, a mark on hockey not to do it. So 405 was an economic situation. It was a lockout. 12-13 when the season was cut to 48 games, same sort of thing. This is a pandemic. This is a, a thing where if you're going to have the owners, basically millionaires and billionaires essentially, arguing over over money in a pandemic when a lot of people have lost their jobs and you have other leagues playing, it's a really bad look. And, and I think that's what finally got through two owners saying, look, we're going to take a short-term hit right now. The, the collective bargaining agreement extension that was negotiated last summer covers some of this loss and spreads out some of the loss between owners and players. And look, might it hurt players a couple of years from now? Yes, it could. But over the long term, it's going to be better for players, better for owners, better for everyone that they get through this as long as they do it safely. The fact that they actually got a CBA extended last year, I think, stunned the hockey world, knowing how you know the, the players and the owners never seem to get along. We've had a couple lockouts and, of course, the one season that was canceled. Uh, the fact that they were cooperating and you're realizing we're in a different situation, I mean, how important is that? For the long-term health of the league, yeah, it, it, it's it was it was stunning because we're not used to this, and, and I think it started with the, the World Cup of Hockey in 2016, when when owners and players got together and figured here's something that we can each benefit from, and, and kind of figured out how to map that out, and then how to map out a, kind of a, a collective bargaining, even just theory, even how to, to go about this was it. It started out on the wrong foot back in, in 2012 with Don Fair and Gary Bettman. But to, to get to the point where they can work together, they're not going to always agree. And we even heard Gary Bettman in the fall talking about players and they have to give back money, such and such, given the 50-50 split and all that. But, no, it's, it's a good sign. It's a good sign for, for players going to the Olympics in Beijing in 2022 and, and then in, uh, in Switzerland and Switzerland, Italy in, 20, in 2026. It's a good sign just to have labor peace through that period of time. And because they had all of that going, kind of the, the, the working chemistry, at least, to go into last summer, it, it is incredible. I mean, and the fact that they were able to figure out how to navigate a pandemic, and then you see what baseball dealt with, and, and that season starting late, and, and some hiccups with the NBA, and we're, we may see with the NFL in a couple of years, that this fall, when all of a sudden things looked like they were falling apart, it was like, no, we, the ink isn't even dry on, on this deal yet, which is what we heard from some players and some prominent agents saying this is a deal that we worked out, and it's a good thing. Owners aren't happy about it right now because I don't think they they, they understood or, or was explained to them just how bad the pandemic might be by January, February of 2021. But as long as all those franchises get through this, which Gary Bettman is confident they will, 
this is a, a, a strong working relationship between the league and the Players Association to where things can get done, including a new TV deal in time for the 21-22 season. Yeah, well, I was ask you about that. I mean, the NHL is probably the one league where it depends on fans being in the stands, unlike the NFL with the big TV contract, baseball with their TV contract, the NBA with their TV contract. It seems like Bettman has been stubborn about the TV contract, just you know, focusing on just one network, which has been NBC for a good 15 years now. Um, but I, I've always maintained, why not have two networks? You know, ESPN could get back in the game. You have two networks. You have more money coming in that way, and maybe the owners uh, and the players will you know, benefit from it. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and, and I do think Gary Bettman's been stubborn and about this kind of exclusivity. He did it with Rogers Sportsnet in Canada, uh, not splitting games between TSN and, and Sportsnet. Uh, he did it, he's done it now with NBC. I think that has to change this time. I, I think the, the way that the, the economics of the world of the U.S. are right now, that, and given that, and this is, would be one of my only criticisms of Gary Bettman over his time as commissioner, is that 10-year deal with NBC missed the, the kind of the bubble on growing TV revenues. And you see the SEC and you see the NBA and all these other leagues get these big TV deals. The NHL locked into a deal before those the, the kind of cash grab on all this and the deal is expiring after that that bubble kind of burst and so without the ability to know you can get kind of this multi-billion dollar kind of eight-figure deal from NBC I think the NHL is going to have to spread it around and, and you look at the way the NFL and Major League Baseball and the NBA are promoted and the, you see on, on ESPN saying here's tomorrow night's game on TNT or you see on Fox Here's the Sunday night football game on NBC. It, there's a kind of cross-promotional element that everyone feels like they have a hand in the game. And if you did that with hockey, not only in the U.S., with NBC and, and ESPN, and, and maybe even throw an Amazon in there, throw a Fox in there potentially, just and do the same thing with TSN and Rogers Sportsnet in Canada, you make basically the entire ecosystem work for you. And I think given the, the, the current climate of, of, of the pandemic, and of sports and, and where money is and isn't, I think that's a smart idea for, for Gary Bettman in the league. Yeah. I mean, the NHL has been a, net, a league that has always seemed to, you know, miss the boat on TV. I mean, I recall back, you know, when Gretzky got, when Gretzky got traded to the LA Kings, uh, that was the first year of Sports Channel America, which really nobody got. Uh, then the Rangers won the Cup in 94, and they um, they went back to, they got a deal with Fox Sports, and then they had the lockout there, which sort of messed things up. And, you know, this to me... Yeah, I think this is a great chance. I mean, we saw a great uh, Stanley Cup final with no no issues of uh, COVID. Uh, I think that the league, if they really find themselves getting uh, more exposure on, on television, I think they they work could take off. Yeah, and and there's there's revenue out there to do it. And, and I remember this is probably more than a few years ago now when it looked like the NHL was a was a close four to to the NBA in the United States in those four major sports. And it's not that anymore. You look at the revenue that the NBA has made off TV and, and from just the social media, digital, all of those things that the NHL is getting better on. But yeah, there's certainly with more U.S. revenue, because we know the Canadian dollar is not in great shape right now, that having a $5 billion TV deal up in Canada doesn't really help when, when you know the Canadian dollar is worth something in the neighborhood of 65 to 75 cents to the U.S. dollar that that you need to have, uh, you need to expose the game more, and, and the league always talks about this in the PA too, you try to grow the game, and that's 
part of that is international and, and trying to showcase the game in places like Europe and in China for the head of the Olympics and those sort of things. But also around the United States and in places that, that are not traditional hockey markets and putting, and this has always been the argument for ESPN, that you have sports fans everywhere who just naturally turn to ESPN or have it on. I think the NHL does like a prominent place on NBC. And even if you kind of split things up, I think NBC winds up being the primary rights holder. But you get the NHL, or you get an ESPN involved, you get maybe a digital streaming service involved. And and yeah, it it can grow the game within this country. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the season. Like you said, uh, 56-game season, all-division play. I think... This, to me, this is psycho. I think we're going to see a lot of rivalries, a lot of bitterness, and like it's going to it could be a, like old time hockey with uh, you know I don't want to say Broad Street bully type uh, uh, hockey, but I think it's going to be some some nastiness because you're going to see these teams eight times during the uh, regular season. Yeah, I think closer to like late eighties, like those kind of Rick Tock and Peter Zezel Flyers sort of teams, yeah, where, where where you're where you have the Patrick Division and you're playing each other so much, and the playoffs go through the division. And that's the part that, that I, I, don't, I don't think fans should lose sight of now. Is not only are our teams going to be playing each other eight times with only four teams out of every division making the playoffs, which means the East is going to be impossible. The North Division, I have no idea who's making the playoffs in most of these divisions. The NHL.com came out with, with the, its kind of staff predictions, and there was not a single unanimous playoff team in the entire league. I have no idea. But then you get to the playoffs, and you're going to have these teams playing each other again. You're going to have essentially mini playoff series throughout the year, whether it's back-to-backs or a three-game series or whatever. And then you're going to have, have two of these teams, four of these teams total in each division playing each other till we have four at the end with the potential of a very wacky Stanley Cup final that we haven't seen since the old Wales and, and Campbell Conference where you could literally have the Leafs and the Bruins playing each other in a Stanley Cup final. It, it's, it's, a, it's a weird year like that, but it's going to be fun. I mean, I, I, I think... The NHL did this for the right reasons. You had to do the Canadian division for the border. But it's going to be fun. I mean, look, it, it, it's live hockey. I think we saw during the bubble that not having fans didn't detract from any of the intensity on the ice. And, and you're right. When, when these teams keep playing each other, the rivalries, the intensity, the temperature in these games are going to be turned up way more than a usual regular season game. Yeah, I go back also to the late 70s when it was, you know, the Flyers and the Hours met in the finals in 80. Uh, the Bruins and the, Cana- yep. and the uh, uh, Canadians met for a couple seasons in the in the finals uh, in the, uh, the late 70s. So, I mean, it, to me, this is going to be way, way exciting. I, I can't wait to see what happens. I mean, we could, you know, could see a, just an incredible uh, playoff run. I thought we had a nice playoff run with the, in the bubble. And I like the fact that the format in the bubble was uh, back to the old way where it was, was conference, you know, you ranked them in conference order. I hope they go back to that when you get back to regular season play, uh, regular play in uh, 21-22. Yeah, I, I, I don't love I don't love the chances for that because Gary Bettman loves brackets. He, he loves, and, and it may wind up being where you, you instead of doing the divisional sort of format that it goes back to one to eight, but with a bracket set up like the NCAA tournament instead of uh, instead of reseeding like they did last year. Yeah, uh, who, who's got a team to look uh, for? Who made, I mean, the Tampa won the cup last year, but no Nikita Kucherov this year. He's out with a hip injury. So, I mean, how tough is it going to be for Tampa to repeat? If it wasn't a realignment situation, if they were still kind of competing with Boston and, and Toronto and Montreal and those teams in, in kind of the old Atlantic division, I think it would be a challenge. I, I still think the Lightning are stacked enough to make the playoffs in, in what is now the Central. With Look, I, I don't know among who, but kind of the middle teams, you could get anything from the Dallas Stars. You can get anything from 
the Florida Panthers. The, the Chicago Blackhawks and Detroit Red Wings stink. They're, they're bad teams. They're, and, and almost by design, these teams are rebuilding. They're not going to make the playoffs. Uh, so you, you know those team, two teams are not going to make it. So basically, you need of, of the Nashvilles, the Carolinas, the Dallas, who, without Tyler Sagan for a while, without Ben Bishop for a while, uh, we don't know how many of these guys who, who, who've contracted the virus are going to be able to play anytime soon uh, in that Dallas outbreak. I think Tampa's in, in, in decent shape. I, I don't know if the Lightning are our Stanley Cup favorites right now. I, I would tend to, to say either, either Vegas or, or Colorado, someone in that Pacific division, is, is probably the Stanley Cup favorite. But look, look at the Lightning now, and, and even with the moves that Julian Breesbaugh had to make in, in trading a Cedric Paquette and letting a Kevin Shattenkirk uh, and, and Zach Bogosian go, that's still a really good team, even without a Nikita Kucherov. And especially if you can consider, he's going to be healthy by the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And look, he'll probably, he'll probably be healthy by April. And because of, of, of long-term injury, kind of salary cap situation, they can't activate him to the playoffs. But imagine having a fully healthy, fresh Nikita Kucherov stepping into that lineup on the first line, on the first power play for the Lightning going into the playoffs. Are you betting against them then? No. <laughs> Not at all. But, yeah, that's that, that, that's the kind of that's the kind of depth that Tampa Bay Lightning. Who are your division winners? It, it, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a lot of chalk on on this, uh, unfortunately, because it's 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 tough to predict who your winners are. I, I'm gonna pick the teams I think are gonna be the Final Four more so than the division okay. winners. Uh, I, I think it's, I think the Boston Bruins are still there. They're still a playoff team. If Yaroslav Halak and 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 Tuka Rask are, are both healthy, both playing. I think it's the only reason the Bruins lost in the bubble was not having Tuka Rask for, for, for that entire run. Uh, I'm going to go Boston Bruins, Tampa Bay Lightning, Colorado Avalanche, and Winnipeg Jets. Uh, I, I, and, and the Jets are a team that, that have had some success in the playoffs. They have the best goaltender probably in the league, the reigning, reigning Vezina Trophy winner in Connor Hellebuck. And I've talked to colleagues who have the Jets either winning the division or missing the playoffs entirely. <laughs> Colorado's only question to me is goaltending. And if Phil Grubauer can stay healthy, the same sort of problems he's had in the past, just kind of off and on. Uh, if he's the number one, and Pavel Francouz, who I was fortunate enough to see at the Olympics in 2018 uh, for the Czech Republic, if those guys are just stable, that Colorado Avalanche with Nathan McKinnon can do anything. And, and you add a Devin Tays there from the New York Islanders. You have Kiel McCarr going into a second year. You have Bowen Byron at, Byron at 19. Uh, that blue line with Samuel Gerrard, who they got from the Matthew Shane trade a few years ago. Uh, Joe Sackick's done a heck of a job in, in Colorado. And if they get any kind of goaltending, could be could be lifting the cup in early July. Of course, uh, you mentioned the Bruins. Uh, you know, they lost two very uh Good defenseman and Tory Crew going to St. Louis and Susano Char going down to the Capitals. Uh, you're down in Washington. Uh, were you shocked that uh, Zidane, the Capitals got Char? Stunned, absolutely stunned, and, and didn't see it coming. And and I would have thought that Zidane Char was either going to play with the Bruins or not play this season, and and that was going to be it. Apparently, they said to him, "Look, we'd we'd like to see what we have in young defensemen, a Jeremy Lozon, a Matt." Grizzlick, uh, Connor Clifton, guys who are coming through the system, that they would rather give those guys ice time and never promise Zdeno Chara an, an every-night role on that team. And, and, and look, the Capitals might not give Zdeno Chara an every-night role either, but if you're saying, if you're Zdeno Chara and say, I know I have no guarantee here, I've won a Stanley Cup here, I, I want a new challenge, 
and Washington gave that. And, and, and the Capitals with Alex Ovechkin, who only has a year left on his contract, and while it's likely he resigns and, and probably plays three to five more years in the NHL, there's no guarantee of that either. And, and so if you're Brian, Brian McClellan, you have to go for it this year. And he tried it with Henrik Lundqvist to pair with Elias Samsonov. We know about the, the heart condition that's keeping Henrik Lundqvist from playing this season, if not ever again. And, and you go get a Zidane Chara, who certainly it, it was going to help your penalty kill the struggle, and is a guy who, even if he plays probably 40 to 45 games this season, makes you a better team come playoff time. Yeah, you mentioned Lundqvist, too. I mean, I, I, I you know, great uh, New York Ranger goaltender. Yeah, it's just, it's unfortunate for him. He never got a chance to win the Cup with the Rangers and then to have this situation. I, I, I think back, I'm glad they caught it, but I think back to when I was a – uh, a kid in growing up in Philadelphia and Bruce Gamble having playing and having a heart attack during a game and still playing uh, for the Flyers against Vancouver back in the day. I mean, I just, I, I, just, I, I feel bad for uh, Henrik the way this. Uh, I mean, if this is how his career ends, it's it's a shame. Yeah, it's tough. And and and, and Brian McClellan said this is something that, that Henrik Lundqvist had, had had dealt with for a while, and tests showed that it got it got worse. And then the fact that he was able to play with some of these kind of hard irregularities throughout the years and, and win a Vezina Trophy, take the, the, the Rangers to, to a final in, in 2014, he's probably a Hall of Fame goaltender. And and, and that's something that, that will be debated over the next few years, that it would have been fun to see him play alongside Alex Ovechkin after playing against each other for so long, putting on a Capitals uniform. It, it looked weird. I mean, seeing Henrik Lundqvist in, in Capitals gear when he was kind of getting ready for the season was strange, just like it is with Zdeno Ochara, But... I think you can wrap your head around it pretty quickly. That, that, that would have been it would have been fun to see that, especially in a division where he gets to, to, to play the Rangers potentially four to eight times, depending on, on who starts in goal. And without without fans in Madison Square Garden and all that, Henrik Lundqvist is not going to get the send off that, that he had hoped or, or, or that Rangers fans had hoped for. Yeah. One other thing I want to ask you about the, the NHL is actually going to have outdoor games in Lake Tahoe. I'm I'm not thrilled with this, especially you're going to bring two teams from the East and the Flyers and Bruins. I mean, it, it seems like I don't it's, I don't even think it's going to money grab because there's not going to be fans there. So, what's the purpose of having outdoor games with no fans, and especially bringing two teams from the East Coast? I, the, the NHL loves putting on events, and and that's something that's become clear in the last few years. And and from an economic standpoint, this this makes Bridgestone and the sponsor for the Stadium Series. Uh, whole for this year's agreement. When you can't have the Winter Classic, you can't have the Stadium Series, the Heritage Classic, those sort of things. Everything the NHL is doing right now, including the helmet advertisements and all that, is just making all of their sponsors who already have agreements whole for the season. Uh, and, and this is the reason for doing that. This is the reason for having these two games at Tahoe, satisfying those sponsorships. Uh, I, I don't really... The, 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 the teams from the East Coast coasting doesn't bother me. These guys are going to be flying... Instead of a, a, an hour charter flight, it's going to be a four to five hour charter flight uh, together. It's still the same teams they're playing against. It's it's going to be hotels that are going to be all, all the protocol, satisfy all the protocols and everything. It the, the San Jose Sharks are pissed. Uh, they they don't like the fact that this is in their backyard and they're not in it. Mm-hmm. But be better, be a better team. Uh, I, I, I don't know what else to say about that. I mean, the, the Bruins and Flyers. They're going to get ratings. It's going to be a national spectacle, and in a season where you don't have the chance to do all do all that, that you couldn't have a Target Field in Minnesota Winter Classic game. This is a chance for the NHL to kind of put together a, almost a makeshift kind of 
spectacle outdoor game. And, and it, it opens up the door for so many of these, these fun ideas that have been talked about before. A game on the National Mall, uh, something crazy like that, a Central Park uh, game that if you know you can do it, if you know you can make it good for TV, that in the years to come, even if it's just limited fans, it's going to be an event. So I think that's, this is also a little bit of an experiment for the NHL to see what they can pull off. So, Steve, where can people find you on Twitter? It's uh, S-W-H-Y-N-O on Twitter. Well, Steve, I appreciate a few minutes. Uh, great catching up with you here. We'll talk more during the season, and uh, go Ghost. Thanks, Ken. Talk to you, too. All right. That's Stephen Wino of the Associated Press. Back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. I'm Dr. Howard Zucker, New York State's health commissioner. It's flu season, and it's always a good idea to get the flu shot. But this year, it's more important than ever. A flu shot won't prevent COVID-19, but it will lower your chances of getting seriously sick from the flu. If you do get sick, the shot can lessen your symptoms and help you feel better sooner. The last thing you or the healthcare system needs during this pandemic is a bad flu season. So please, protect yourself and your community. Get a flu shot now. Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. Check out my Parting Shots blog for my NFL playoffs divisional round selections. Go to dailygazette.com slash category slash sports slash parting dash shots. I was 3-3 three and three with my super wildcard weekend picks. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. The second wave of the coronavirus is hitting us, so please be vigilant. Even though the vaccine for the coronavirus is coming out, keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be positive, stay negative. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Carmen Massarello, Laura Oakman, and Stephen Wino for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Party Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, be smart, stay safe, wear the face mask.